Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. I love quotes. I love motivational quotes. And uh, I'm going to share a couple of motivational quotes, if I could, with you today. Ready? Here's quote number one. Everything I have gained, I choose to lose for Christ. That's a pretty good, pretty cool motivational quote. Everything I have gained... I choose to lose for Christ. Powerful, what a thought. Here's another one. Here's another quote. Nothing is as valuable as knowing Christ. There's nothing as valuable as knowing Christ. I hope that you understand that and believe that there's nothing quite as valuable. Quote number three, compared to Christ, everything else is rubbish, that's a good quote. That's a, that's a powerful quote compared to Christ, compared to who he is and what he has done. Everything else is rubbish. Quote number three, everything I am or have is because of the goodness of Christ. Would you agree with that? Everything you have, everything you are is because of the goodness of Christ. Last quote. I will pursue Christ because he pursued me. I will pursue Christ because he pursued me. These quotes did not come from the great Winston Churchill. He, he, he had so many amazing quotes. And I know this is hard to believe. These quotes didn't even come from Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan has great quotes, right? And obviously, never mind, I was about to make a political joke. I will move on. Uh, This quote did not come from the great Orson Welles or Shakespeare, right? Although quotes like that motivate us. We love walking into a room where there are these posters with quotes and great things that motivate us to action. Matter of fact, over the last couple of months, um, or excuse me, weeks, um, Facebook has had uh, a tremendous amount of graduation motivational speeches right? Some person gets up at at the podium, whether it's a big famous individual um, that is standing in front of a big time college or or some valid Victorian giving her or his speech um, as they're uh, making their way across the platform, receiving that diploma, sharing with the school. Why, Why do they do that? Why do they share these speeches? For what purpose? For, for, for motivation. Motivation for what? For, for life, for, for, for their future, for, for choices that are about to be made like they've never experienced before. Go change the world. How many times has that been said over the last month? Go change the world. All you kindergartners graduating, go change the world, okay? It cracks me up all the graduations we have. Kindergarten graduation, Sixth grade graduation, 
eighth grade graduation, high school graduation. I think we need to have a graduation from graduations. Don't you agree? We need to move on from all these graduations, right? Um, it, it's, just, it's just a way to present thoughts that motivate and challenge. And yet there's, there's no better thought than what the Apostle Paul, through the leading of the Lord Jesus Christ, gave in these passages. That's why he said at the beginning of chapter 3, finally, not like finally we're getting this over with, but finally this is why I'm writing. This is the intent of my letter. This is what I want you to hear, and this should bring us to really attention. Hey, fi- hey, guys, listen up. Listen up. This is why we're here. The food's over. The fellowship is over. The small talk is done. Hey, listen up. This is why we came. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is helping them to recognize their identity in Christ. Without Christ, we can do nothing. Everything else is but dung. I'm going to pursue him because he pursued me. And this is where we are. Jesus Christ being elevated. Paul lowering himself and helping us recognize that that is essential that there is something greater in life to live for than ourselves. There's a prize that we're shooting for. Several years ago, a statistician put together um, a bunch of stats concerning how we spend our lives. So here's what he said. If the average life is 75 years, okay, so let's say the average life, they say right now, and if you average it up, 75 years and then we die. Okay, this is how the average, are you dead yet, Ken? I mean, uh, you're getting close there, guys. I'm, I'm telling you, we need to, he's not obedient. How old are you, Ken? Hey, see, he loves to defy the odds. 83 and 84 in a couple of weeks, that is awesome. So good thing you're not average, okay? Uh, the average person lives to be 75 years old. Here's how we spend our lives, Ready? If we live to be 75 years of us, most of us will have spent three solid 24-hour days acquiring an education. That's uh, elementary, high school, college. Three years acquiring an education. If we live to be 75, we will have spent seven years eating. 24 hours a day, seven years of our life spent eating. Some of us, a little more, but seven years eating, all right? Um, We will have spent 14 years working. If you accumulate all the years you work, it adds up to 14 24-hour days working. I mean, 14 years of 24-hour days. Um, We will have spent five years talking with each other in conversation. If you're an extrovert, a little more. If you're an introvert, a little less, but average five years talking with each other. We will have spent 24 years of our 20, or 75 sleeping. You like that, don't you? 24 years of our 75 years sleeping. Okay, five, I mean, now. 14 years of our 75 years are spent inside some form of transportation. If you drive back and forth to Phoenix, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your life is wasting away on that interstate sitting in traffic, right? Um, I thought this was interesting. We will spend 12 years amusing ourselves. 
meaning watching TV, playing games, playing sports, being involved in some group or some uh, um, athletic event or whatever, 12 years of our lives will be spent amusing ourselves. And um, when I read this, this was an old um, uh, statistic. It's about eight years old. Uh, they say in our culture now with soccer and all the other th- events and all the travel teams and everything that this number would actually be much higher amount of time in our lives that are spent just amusing ourselves. The preacher that saw this statement decided to do his own math. And so he figured this out. If I spend an hour a week on a Sunday morning in church my entire life, I would fit into this category. I've been in church since I was six months old. If I spent one hour a week in one service a week my entire life for 75 years, I will have only been underneath the tutelage and preaching of God's word for five and a half years months. If you add Sunday school to that, let's just say you come to church and Sunday school, you've only spent 11 months underneath the preaching and teaching of God's word. But pastor, hey, can I brag a little more? I come to Awana. Well, good for you. You spent a year and a half underneath the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Now, that's not counting spending time reading books and studying. Um, I love what the preacher has done here by taking those stats and comparing them with what is typical in the Christian life. Ron Selby, can you imagine in your whole entire life only spending 11 months in God's Word? but 14 years amusing yourself. Think about that. And and I hope that this part is the only part of the message, that's my intent, that might feel like the pastor is being a little bit convicting, although the pastor is really telling the average truth. I mean, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, I probably have spent more hours watching Andy Griffith than I have sitting in the tutelage in a service myself. I can sit down on any given day, multiple days in a row, and watch three or four episodes of Andy every day sometimes just to amuse my brain, to get it to kick out of gear. Do you understand? So, so this is a thought for all of us. When I saw this, I'm like, so when Paul was saying, I count everything but loss that I may win Christ, what exactly did he mean and what was his motivation to do that? Hey, hey I will tell you something. Can I share this along with this statistic? You're going to spend a tremendous amount of time invested in your children, amusing themselves for something they will never do after their senior year of college or high school. Think about it. Now, I'm not saying to stop doing those things because I even coach basketball. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm asking you, what has your ultimate pursuit 
what's your ultimate goal, okay? So I'm finished helping us think like that. Now I want you to show you why, because sometimes we get this attitude for crying out loud. What does pastor expect out of us? I mean, there's just so much pressure. I don't even want to go to church anymore because every time I go, I feel leaving convicted like I'm doing everything wrong. And that's not the point. The point is, what is our motivation for our life? Why do we value what we value? What is our identity? What makes up who we are? And from this point forward, I want you to see the beauty of this passage and what Paul is trying to articulate to us. Philippians chapter number three, and let's begin in verse number nine. Notice what he says, picking up from last week. And be found in him. Notice this next phrase. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here's what Paul says. I, Paul, who has tried based upon my own goodness to have value, that's what he's saying, has recognized that my value is not in me. My value is in the work of Christ upon the cross of Calvary. It is his righteousness that has been imputed unto me. And because of that righteousness, I am who I am. There is, there is none righteous, no, not one. And we understand that. But, but Paul is helping us pause for a minute and understanding something in this passage. Here, here's what he wants us to know, that there's nothing more important than the prize of Christ. Nothing. When you get to the end of this life, what is it that you can hold up and champion? It won't be the years you spent doing A, B, or C. It'll have to be only what's left is the value that we have in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. Church, he loves you. He gave himself for you. And if he is going to be our prize, then I think there's a couple of thoughts that Paul has that, that we need to have today. Paul said this. He said, to be captivated by the one who captivated me. Have you oftentimes wonder what drives a person? What captivates a person? Here's what Paul says in the text. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Why? That I may know him. I want to know Christ above everything else. I want to be known of Christ above everything else. I want my life to exemplify Jesus Christ, not because I have to, not because I'm guilted into it, but because he's imputed unto me his righteousness. He captivated me with who he is, and may I desire to let him be the one that I pursue above everything else. Notice what the text says, to know him. Because of his justification, the word know here in the passage means this. It means experientially, personally. It's the idea of sharing in this, this life of Christ. Uh, several years ago, it's been a while, I was living in North Carolina. I needed a pickup truck. My dad had um, a little 1995 silver Ford Ranger pickup truck at his shop. 
somebody had um, brought it to him to be repaired and they couldn't pay for the repairs. And so they sold it to him as junk. And he said, hey, I don't think it'll take a lot. I can get this fixed up for you. I'll give it to you. So he gives me this little 1995 Ford Ranger pickup truck. I take it home. I love detailing cars. I took the windshield wipers off, sanded them down, spray painted them, took the plastics off, sanded them down. David spray painted those, made them look really good. Not as good as David would, but they looked pretty good. I, I bought those, that bug guard that goes up front, trimmed it in black, trimmed the windows, did the bed, the bed guards on the back, did all this stuff to it. It looked really nice. I was sitting at a pawn shop, nonetheless, when a guy walks up to me and says, hey, will you sell me your Ranger? I'm like, I have no, 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 I'm not attached to it. It's, it's not anything special. He sa- I said, how much will you give me for it? And he gave me a price. I thought, now, I would consider that. Let me look it up and make sure that's a fair market price. I did. I'm like, okay. He met me at my house about 30 minutes later, wrote me a check, and drove away with that car. I signed it over, did the whole, did just, so, just sold it. Just, I wasn't even planning on selling it. I thought, well, this is fun. I'm going to do this again. And so I took the money from that sale and I bought a 2000 Ford Ranger extended cab, had Duke blue paint on it. I did the same thing. I pulled the, 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 the windshield wipers off, cleaned them all up, spray painted, sanded it, took the grills off, sprayed the undercarriage, made it look really pretty, shined it up, fixed it up really nice, drove it around for a while and put it up for sale. I sold it and made a bunch of money. I was like, this is working. So I took that money and I bought a, I, I don't know, it was a mid-2002, three Ford F-150 work truck. You know what I'm talking about? They have a long eight-foot bed on them. They have no extended cab. Everything inside is vinyl, right? And there's no fabric inside. Basic everything. Bought it and did the same thing. Sanded the wheels down this time. Spray painted the wheels, fixed it all up, cleaned it like I'd done the other ones, and I sold it. And finally got the truck I wanted, a 2007 Ford F-150 decked out. Radio, AC, power everything, power seats, toolbox in the back. I didn't have to add anything but that cool-looking tinted bud guard up front, right? That's the only thing I added, right? And, and, and so now I'm, I'm into what I wanted to what was exciting and enjoyable. And you know what I did not do? I did not glorify those things which I had given up in order to gain what I had. I didn't go back and, and, and dwell on the, the little Ford Rangers and those types of things. Matter of fact, I pursued the goal that I was after, the, the, the end result of having something. And you know the crazy thing is I never paid a penny for any of it. Do you remember the Ford Ranger that was given to me? It was given to me. Every time I sold it, I made more and more and more and more. This is what Paul is saying, church. Forgetting those things which are behind. I count them but dung. They are a waste. They are refuse. None of this matters. What matters is what I have gotten in Christ. And the crazy thing is, I couldn't have got it if I tried. It was all imputed to me by the righteousness and the goodness of God. See, the difference between our motivation and Paul's is Paul was in love with Jesus. 
Paul was captivated by the one who was captivated by him. Paul was captivated by the one who did everything for him so that he might know him. And God has always been doing that. Church, you're his creation. He loves you since the beginning of the earth. That's why I'm glad I'm not an accident. And I'm going to be firm how ridiculous. Ridiculous is it to think that this human body that repairs itself so beautifully like it does, I've been amazed watching. I wish I'd have done one of those, what do they call it, where you recorded it, a time-lapse video of this. I'm, I'm blown away that chaos could go to something so beautiful. It's just the way this body is made. We have been made by a designer. We didn't happen by an accident. We are wonderfully made by God, and since that moment God made us, he made us to know him and to fellowship with him, to bless us and to love us. He calls a whole entire people group out from the rest of the world. Why? So through that people group, the Jews, he could reveal himself to us communicate with us. He has set up prophets and priests to give us his word. And now today through Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary, he's revealed himself to all of mankind and now still being delivered by preachers and evangelists, pastors and teachers. Why? So that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the partnership of his suffering being made conformable unto his death so that me and him can experientially be one. That I can know him and fellowship with him. There's nothing like knowing Jesus. Church, he loves you. He gave himself for you. There is no other relationship like this one from the word of God that we see ever been introduced to mankind. Where, where he put in all the work so that we could enjoy the benefit. And now Paul is saying this, to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Why? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. I love what John 15, 13 says, greater love hath no man than this. Than what? Then he laid down his life for his friend, for relationship. The Bible says in John 10, 27, my sheep know my voice and they, and they hear me. The Bible says in John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts. Why? To give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.20, and we know that the Son of God has come and, that, and hath given us understanding that we may know him that is the true, and we are him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and the eternal life. Church, God wants you to know him 
He wants you to know him experientially. He wants you to live in him. And he wants to empower you to overcome with the same power we sing about today that comes as a result of his resurrection, captivated by the one who captivated me. Secondly, to be apprehended, to apprehend the one who apprehended me. Notice Philippians chapter 3. Let's continue on. Verse number 11. If by any means, which means whatever is necessary, right? I might attain or choir unto the resurrection of the dead. When I leave this life unto the other, I, I, want, it, I want it to be said that anything, whatever matters, whatever it takes. Look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after. If that I may apprehend... Check this out. That for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Um, the word apprehend means to seize, to possess, to lay hold of. Okay, so you understand the idea of apprehended. To seize, to possess, to lay hold of. So um, let me ask you, Big Jig. How long did it take you to apprehend? How long before she, she said, okay, we'll date? Was it love at first sight? Did she see that the specimen of man you were and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, that was it. That is awesome. It was not way, that way for me. It took a good year and a half for Robin to go, okay, you're worthy of my attention. Man, not everybody's got it. Oh, you were in a military. Man, hey, that's... I just thought of an Andy Griffith episode, and I won't share Ernest T. Baz with you. Uh, but it, the, the, the military, man, that, that did it. I guess I didn't have that physique. It is what it is. You remember what it was like, Ken, to pursue Miss June? Do you remember what it was like, Ken, to pursue Miss Karen? I mean, to apprehend, to lay hold of, to, 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 to call her your own? Paul says, well, watch what he says. I want to apprehend the one who apprehended me. Let me tell you what's not romantic. This past Thursday night or Thursday, I hopped on an airplane at 5 a.m. in the morning and flew to North Carolina just in time to get off, get freshened up, and get to a 100-year youth group reunion which was really cool. So they did a big reunion in North Carolina over the last 100 years. If you were a teenager in the youth group there at Liberty, uh, you were welcome to come to this event. It was really neat. And I saw some people there that I haven't seen in a long time. What Robin doesn't know is that I have been sending letters to my old flames. And I've been sending flowers to my old girlfriends and I love complimenting my girlfriends in front of her. Honey, you're pretty, but no, I didn't. You would never believe that, would you? <laughs> never, like never. I would not dwell on what was for what had been apprehended now. And that makes just about much sense as what Apostle Paul is trying to articulate here in a more beautiful way. Paul says, my passion is, watch what he says again. He says in verse number 12, not as though I had already attained. I get it. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. 
but I tell you what I am doing. He says, I follow after if that I may seize, lay hold of that which also I had been laid hold of by Jesus Christ. You ever stopped and thought about that moment? when you were apprehended, when you were arrested, can I use that word, by the Holy Spirit of God? Can you think of that precise moment right now where God's Spirit was calling upon you and was drawing you to himself? You began mentally to understand who God is and what his word was saying, and you recognized who you were, and you saw the price that he paid to have your life. I don't know. Some of us, it was a couple of weeks. It only took a couple of weeks of the preaching of the word of God. I know people even in this room, it took about a year, a year and a half for them to come to the point where they felt the drawing of God so real and swift in their life to call upon him to accept him as their savior. But you, you have to know that moment. If you don't remember that spot where you were arrested by God, I remember that night where I dropped on one knee and my heart was racing. It was beating like it was about to pop out of my chest. And I opened up the, the box with the ring in it, and I had people setting off fireworks in the background. And I looked up at Rob and I said, will you marry me? At that moment, Robin's response was because, literally in her mind, she became convinced. And her mind and thoughts were what? Apprehended. Something or someone had laid a hold of that. So her reply was, I'm going to apprehend of that which I was apprehended. Do you see it? It's that real. If you're married here today, I don't know how your hubby did it. There may not have been fireworks. There may just been a lot of fireworks in here going on, right? But you remember where you were when all of a sudden you reciprocated the, 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 um, the process, the, the, the pursuit, okay? I want you to think about the day you got saved. I'd love for everybody to pause and stop and think about the day you got saved. Where were you at when the Holy Spirit arrested your heart? Where were you sitting when you became utterly convinced that Jesus Christ loved you and gave himself for you and you were unworthy of salvation and you called upon Jesus Christ to save you? Where were you at when he arrested your heart. Do you have that place in mind? You know where it was where you called upon his name? Because at that moment, you had to come before him with nothing. It wasn't you apprehending him, it was him apprehending you. It wasn't you having to please him, it was him pleasing you. It wasn't you having to earn him. It was him having worked at the cross and labored and rose again for you. Do you remember when you were apprehended? And we wonder what motivated Paul. And Paul is simply saying this, I want to apprehend that which has apprehended me. That is what he's saying in the text. If you're sitting here and you say, Pastor, I don't remember a time where I called upon Jesus Christ. I remember recognition of God and an understanding of God, but I don't recall a time where I called upon God and reciprocated back what Jesus Christ had done, responded is a better word to what he has done. Then you need to be saved. 
And he is drawing you now. But for us, like Paul, this passage being written to brethren, you understand what Paul is saying in the text. So let's look at it together. Brethren, verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, everything that would have been my own way, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forth, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the what? For the prize. What is the prize? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus to be Christ-like, to be like him, to be passionate about him. That is the prize. He is it. He is all that matters. I really don't know how to articulate it better than what Paul is trying to articulate this. It's hard in a world like we live in to see the prize that Christ is when there's so many things flashing in front of us. I get it. I get it. I, I think it comes with a word we're going to look at in a moment, and the word is maturity. We'll talk about that in a bit. We'll talk about that in a moment. The prize. I love what Paul says here. He says, I understand that everything's been because of the work of Christ. Therefore, now that I have him, I'm going to pursue to know him more. Notice what John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he what? The power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Bible says in Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If it weren't for him and what he has done and the price that he has paid, would you turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Romans chapter 5? I want you to see this yourself. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 to a really, really beautiful and clear passage. Romans chapter 5 We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. We're going to see what it is, what what Paul is trying to say in this passage. Romans chapter 5, and let's look specifically at verses 1 through 9. Therefore, being justified by faith. Um, The word justified is is a word simply that means, um, in simple terms, to be made right. Um, by somebody else price that has been paid. Uh, Some would say a good simple way of looking at justification. Christ justified us. He made it. And this is a weak illustration, but simple enough for us to wrap our minds around. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. When Christ looks at me, uh, when God looks at me, Christ through his righteousness has made the payment, the covering. He has justified me to be made righteous. Justified in the eyes of God because of Jesus Christ. Now watch, therefore being justified by what? Me believing in the work of Christ. We have peace with God through who? Through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this, by whom? Who's the whom? By whom? By Christ also, I love that word. Don't you love when we get an also? If you buy this today for $14.99, right? You've seen the commercials. 
we'll give you the new chopper. Okay. And if you buy the chopper today, you'll also receive. I get more. Okay, now watch. You didn't do anything to gain your salvation. You were justified, made righteous by Jesus. Also, notice what it says here. We have access by faith unto this grace wherein we stand. Through the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ, we have access unto the grace of God. God's gift at Christ's expense. Look as well. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The Bible says in verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that our tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You can't help but read that passage and go, what did I bring to the game? Ten years into your faith, what did I bring to the game? 25 years into your faith, what did I bring to the game? I'm nothing. Not only can I not save myself, I can't even enjoy the grace that is available to me if it hadn't been for the Spirit of God. I can't even grow in my experiences lest it be for the glory of God. And I can't even have access lest it be for the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says, I gotta have them. I gotta have them. If I don't, I, I'm worthless. I'm nothing. He is everything, church. That is the beauty of this passage. I want to apprehend that which has apprehended me to be like Christ. I am crucified with Christ. You know this passage, don't you? Nevertheless, I live. Not I. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in what? The flesh, this this flesh that is in me. I live by faith. In who? The Son of God, who what? Loved me and gave himself for me. What What a beautiful thought. It's all about Christ. Therefore, Paul says, I pursue him. Notice our passage, if you would, as we close out this thought together. The word of God says in Philippians chapter number 3, verse 15, let us therefore as many be perfect, be thus minded. Okay, so so I want to talk through this quickly and we're going to close. The word perfect does not mean what we would think it means in our vernacular. If I walked up to you and I said, hey, you are perfect, Ken, your wife would go, (laughs) whatever, right? You understand? All right, okay, so so, so you get the idea. The word, we think perfect is without flaw. And Karen would go, no, he's not. He's not without flaw. Um, In 1611, when this word was written and translated from the originals, um, it was given to us later as this word perfect. It's not the right word today. It's just not. Uh, The word perfect in our minds means, well, I've got to be thus perfect without flaw. No, the better word is mature. 
It is the same word. This is just an older English word for a more modern word today would be, and right word, unchanging word would be the word mature. Let us therefore, notice the text. The Bible says, let us therefore as many be mature. That's what the word means. Be thus minded. So here's what the text is saying. If you're going to be mature, if you're going to be a mature Christian, then this, what I just said, has to be your mind. Here's what mature Christians think. Fair enough? Mature Christians think, everything that I am is trash. It is refuse. I have nothing and am nothing without Christ. Therefore, I'm going to daily pursue him as a runner in the race, striving for the mastery of Christ's likeness. That is what a mature mind says. That's everything Paul just said prior to that in a nutshell. Fair enough? Then he says this. Then he says, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, so what would otherwise be in compared to mature? What's the opposite of mature? Immature. So if you are immature, if you don't have a mature, perfect mind concerning these thoughts, then you have an immature mind, okay? What does an immature mind do? An immature mind is not in pursuit. An immature mind hasn't come to the conclusion that um, there can be no self-dependence, no self-glorification, no self-pursuit, but only the pursuit of Christ. That, that, that is what the text is literally saying in its context. Uh, for instance, in this room spiritually speaking, can I say that? We have three types of people, okay? Three types of people. In this room right now, we have people who are lost. I believe there are people sitting in this room who have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've never come to that moment where they've allowed God to arrest their heart and then to call upon him and put all their faith and trust into Christ alone. Then you have the second person who is a believer, but he is immature. The Bible says multiple places that he would reference that sometimes as a baby who only can handle milk hasn't quite come to that understanding that he needs to be in. Okay, these are people who choose earthly things as greater value. These are people who choose to not pursue Christ and have not begun to grow in their faith and knowledge of Christ. They're just immature. It's not to say they can't be mature, but if they're going to be mature, they're going to have to, as Paul said here in the passage, they're going to have to apprehend that which has apprehended him. They're going to have to be captivated by what captivates him or it's captivated him. So, so, so understanding the thought. And then thirdly, there's the mature. Notice what the text says again. Go back to our passage. The Bible says, let us therefore, as many as be mature, perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Um, the immature child of God is not without hope, Right? They can't do it anyway, right? What, 
what elevates one from mature, from immature to mature is not their own works. And there's some of you sitting here right now saying, I, that's me. I'm not immature, so I'm going to go home and I'm going to write a list of all the things that I'm going to do to fix this. Stop. You can't fix it. You've got to simply apprehend the one who apprehended you. To know him experientially, to live the way he would live, to walk the way he would walk it. It's not something you can fix. He's fixed it. It's putting your faith and rest and trust completely in him and saying yes to him. That's it. So I love what he says here. here exactly what is about to be said. If anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, doesn't matter where you're at, let us all walk in the same thing. Whether you're here today and you see yourself having grown in your faith and your love for God, I'm going to tell you something. Um, can I share this um, carefully but transparently? Um, I am not the same guy today that I was 20 years ago. I see things so differently today than I did 20 years ago concerning my walk, my life, my faith. So I'm not tooting a horn today about spiritual maturity as if you can't arrive. I'm just simply saying that it's a process of growth as the Holy Spirit takes control of things in your life as you say yes to him and pursue him. And, and here's what I've done over the last several weeks, and can I confess it, and here's what God's revealed to me. I've recently just finished a book entitled Gentle and Lowly. It's been a life um, a thought-changing book for me about Christ. And what God convicted me of at the end of this book as I was closing it out is I walk in here on Sundays and I preach at you pretty hard about something that maybe you don't understand. Why is he so passionate? Why, does he, why is he so... Um, matter of fact and dogmatic. And can I say this carefully? As Paul was saying, and later on he says, follow me as I follow Christ, and I don't think I've even arrived to say that. Okay, I, I don't think so, but I'm sharing something. I've already been convinced of who Jesus is and the effects that he has have had on my life over 20-something years, and I expect you to skip all of that and come to where I'm at now. Like that? Matter of fact, I would say this and carefully, humbly, that I would consider that I have not attained and I have not arrived, but my mind is thinking like Paul's here in a mature way, and you wouldn't want me to be your pastor otherwise. But here's what I expect when I stand up and preach. I expect you to hear it, make a decision today, and it change your whole life when you walk out that door. But some of us in this room haven't experienced the one who's apprehended us to bring us to that point of maturity. And it's, it's either because you're very young in the faith, maybe, as Paul said here, or it's because we're distracted by our own righteousness and the good that we have done. 
Or as Paul explained it in another way, we're so carnal, we're seeking only after the things of this world and those thorns have come up and choked us. And therefore, it just doesn't mean the same. Hey, can, can we be honest? Have I preached on things up here where it doesn't feel like it means the same to you that it does to me? Would you have Christian brothers and sisters that you fellowship with and you would think, well, church to them means something different to them than it does to me? But here's what God says, no matter where we stand in this, we should all have the same rule, mind the same thing. And what is that? To pursue the prize. To pursue it. To follow after. I'm telling you what, I don't know who it was recently. Who was it? Was it Rusty Smith that mentioned that last Kentucky Derby? We just had a preacher here that mentioned in his sermon, uh, it wasn't me, the, the, the last Kentucky Derby. How many of you have seen that last Kentucky Derby race? You need to watch it. There's going to be a movie about it, I promise you. From my understanding, the guy wasn't even supposed to race. Something happened to the last place horse that could get in. And so this jockey and his horse gets in at the last minute, and he was the last one on the track to expect it to win. So if you, if you bet on him, I think it was 800 to 1 was the odds. And if you watch that race, guys, it is phenomenal. They come out of the gate, and this horse, and it's for his rider jockey, he's in the back. And about halfway through the race, you see him starting to work his way through the line and come through. And then he's on the inside gate, and they make that last turn. And the horse turns his head at the race and fixes his eye past the first place guy. Actually, he was in third at this time. And then last minute, stretches him. And he wins the whole race. It's never been done. Ever. And as I'm watching that, here's what I'm literally thinking because I'm inside this passage of Paul. God, I may have started out back here, but no matter where I stand in the race, we're all in the same pursuit to win the prize, to give it all we've got. And that strength is only going to come from the one who's already arrested my heart the one who's empowered me to have it, who loves me and desires for me to know him. We've just got to get in the mindset. Here's what Paul is saying. What is the mindset? No matter what, the prize. Look at the text again. We're going to close by reading it. Where to we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Church, I want to go after it. Or as the famous quote is said, I'm going to die trying. Oh, we love quotes. Let us mind the same thing. Everything else is dung that I may win Christ. Father, we love you today. We thank you. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. 
Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.